Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. And uh, once again, before we get started, uh, just another announcement about our ALS fundraiser in, in Pat Dwyer's name, coming up on May 15th at Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company there on Leary Way in Ballard. Trident Seafoods is graciously going to send out their fork and fin food truck with 100% of all sales off that truck going to uh, directly benefit the, the Pat Dwyer ALS Fund. So I encourage you guys to uh, come out to that event, uh, share it among your, your Facebook, etc. And uh, follow us on Galley Stories on Facebook to uh, be a part of our live podcast for that day. And uh, today with me, I've got a kind of a unique catch. Um, I've got Howard Malcolm. He's the captain of the FV Northern Patriot that does fish for Trident. Uh, how are you doing today, Howard? I'm doing well. Doing Good. well. Well, you've heard all of these podcasts at this I point. I have, yep. So take yeah. it away. So I was born in Minnesota, okay? My my dad was in the Air Force. He would just gotten out of the Air Force, and he, we were just kind of moving around, you know? And so I actually lived in Minnesota for nine months, and then we moved to Sacramento, I think. You know, I was too young to remember all this, and ended up in Federal Way, just south of Seattle here, until through the, the most of the fourth, grade um, spent a year in Phoenix of my fifth grade and then uh, sixth seventh and eighth grade I lived in Hawaii um, company shipped my dad over there and uh, we did that and then and then uh, moved back to mainland and settled in in Oregon um, in a little town called Flomouth Oregon there and went to high school and uh, and that's where I that's where I graduated from so so we can take off from there take off from there something brought you to the water well it did it did so I had I was I was getting ready in my senior year high school didn't know exactly what direction I was going to do me and my my buddy were talking about joining the Navy and you know mom wanted me to go to college it wasn't going to be my thing and a couple brothers three brothers that were up in in Dutch Harbor at the time and and one of them who was had been actually fishing um, at the time, had came down and he was coming down with some pockets full of money. Going, oh, wow, look at this, you know. And he had, I mean, it was what, right? And I thought, shit, maybe I should do that. <laughs> so I checked into it and, and uh, but everyone told me, they all told me, don't come up to Dutch Harbor without a job. You know, if you come up try and find a fishing job, you're going to starve to death before you find one. This is 1979. And so... When you were, so ni- you were 19? I, I was 17. 17. I was 17. So I went to... Uh, I got a job with Pacific Pearl Seafoods to work in their crab processing plant in Dutch Harbor. Had to, had to forge my birth certificate. Because you can't work in a cannery by state law in Alaska unless you're 18. I was still 17. So, you know, did the whole, you know, photocopy of a photocopy and white out and type in a, the change the change the, the year, you know, and then take a photocopy of that and a photocopy of the photocopy. And 10 photocopies later, hey, it looked legit, right? Mm-hmm. Sent it on in. And, and I was hired, sent on up there. I uh, got up there August of 79 immediately tried to get in the good graces of the of the supervisors you know and the foremans and want to get out on the dock be a be an offloader you know make my presence known 
to the uh, to the fleet and and actually just kind of get my bearings on a boat you know geez and so i did I, after about a week of of processing they moved me on the dock and became a processor and you know that first trip down that ladder you know 20 feet down it was a high dock it was about 20 feet down and then stepping across three feet onto a slippery rail of a boat and then jumping on i was i was scared shitless uh, i won't lie you know and then but i did it and i got used to it and and then after that i started you know every every day i get off work and i just start walking the docks and and asking for for jobs and and it took me three and a half months before i was picked up on a boat and uh this is in dutch it is in dutch yeah what were they processing so um king crab okay. it was during king crab season so you were going down and pitching yeah i was going down and pitching yep i was a crab pitcher so boat boat comes up explain that a little bit for us okay so so the boat comes in with with a catch of of king crab okay and it's their turn to offload they pull up you go down there you pop the hatches the the boat crew empties the water out of the tank and you get down there you have these brailler bags that are just a web they have a, a steel hoop you know top and bottom and then web in between and they lower it down in there and you jump down on the right on top of the crab and you pick them up and you start throwing them in the in the brailler bag and and uh, you got a crane operator up above that's lifting them up every so slightly to keep them so they don't spill out you know and and uh, until it gets full and then you they're swung off and they're weighed and and they're put on the dock and they're 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 taken to the processing plant which you know some of them the processing plants just right there they like an Akatan, they just swing them right there on this dock it was a they had to forklift them in and they put them these in. are all live crab though They're all live crab oh yeah and there would be some boats that would have dead crab there was one boat called the wickman command it's no longer in the fleet but we used to call it the dead command because they it was a big boat it was like the northern patriot that size and about 160 foot 170 foot and they would come in four tanks full maybe 400,000 pounds of crab on board and they would always be lucky to have 100,000 pounds of live crab. Really? It was the biggest waste of resource. It was horrible. It was horrible. But we'd have to muck, wade through all this dead crab and they'd have mounds of dead crab on their back deck. It, you know? was, it the, was it the refrigeration? Was well, it the... So you don't refrigerate crab. Mm -hmm. It's just you have water and you're always pumping water into it. So I think it's a combination. They didn't have good circulation. Uh, it was also a combination of somehow, I think because of the proximity for the crab tanks to the engine room, the water was getting hot. And because we, there was actually evidence of kind of somewhat cooking down there. Huh. You know, I think the crab was getting... Did they have the breakers in to keep them kind of separated? Yeah, yeah, and... they had those. Yeah, the bin boards. Yep. The bin boards, yeah. Yeah, so they got those. Yeah, so, so anyway, so, yeah, but, yeah, so you offload the crab and that's it. And three and a half months of that. And uh, actually, you know, at the very end, you know, I got raised up to being a forklift driver. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I tell you, that's, you're a step above. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, you're, if you're an offloader, you're a step above the rest of the, the people in the, in the cannery anyway. So, <laughs> in our minds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so yeah, so I got hired on a um, boat called the Golden Cloud later on became the Nuitna, but and it since has sunk but at that point it was the golden cloud 
and so 135 foot schooner rig so house aft so we went out and it was for Pribilof blue crab king crab season they don't even have that but you know that's what it was and it was a seven inch minimum bristol bay red king crab is six and a half inches across the back at that time Priblofs was seven inch across the back big crab you know not a lot of them you know it's typically 15 it's, it, 15 a pot well pot. yeah but you know, so a day into the trip we uh we started jogging due to weather at the time i don't know i if it's if it's been surpassed but at the time it was the lowest millibar low that ever entered into the bering sea and all the boats apparently i mean i'm green as shit right i didn't know what the hell is going on but apparently you just got off the forklift. i just got off the forklift yeah and so so all the boats went into the islands the Pribilof islands to anchor up except for this boat and then the flying cloud which is now the gladiator Okay, and we're the only two boats out there. Well, we're jogging, and I'm sick. I'm seasick, you know, and it is, it's rough. We had a deck load of gear on board, so it's only one, the one level, the level you go upright on, not flat. And it was on board, and we're just jogging, and the skipper came down and woke us all up, says, we got to go out on deck. The other person sharing the stateroom was the chief engineer, and he says, we're not going anywhere. Too rough to fish. I don't know what he's thinking. We're not going to go out there. I don't know what he's thinking about going out on deck. He's laying his bunk, so I thought, well, I'm going to lay in my bunk till he gets out, you know. And all of a sudden, the boat just leans all the way over, and it went 90 degrees. And it was on its side. So you're laying and on the side of the wall. It, yeah, well, so the his boat was kind of side to side, and my boat was... Bunk? Was bunk, uh, yeah. My bunk was fore and aft, his bunk was side to side, so when it went up on a side, it went starboard windows in the water, he fell from his bunk into my bunk, and he's on top of me, and he's yelling, get to the wheelhouse, get your survival suit on, get to the wheelhouse, get your survival suit on. There was no safety in those days, no safety training, no safety orientation, none of that. I did not know what a survival suit was. I did not know what was happening. I thought we we're going to go out and fish. So I'm grabbing my socks, I'm grabbing my boots, I'm trying to grab my rain gear, I'm grabbing my gloves. But the boat's you know, sideways. And the boat's on its side. Okay, so then I finally get to the wheelhouse. By the time I get to the wheelhouse, it actually righted itself. And it came back. And, you know, the Bredos are blaring, and there's there was talking, and, you know, there was stuff. And, and the guys go, well, what took you so long? I go, well, I had to get all my stuff, you know, to go out there. I think I ended up with one boot and maybe one glove, you know, things are, because I'm getting tossed around, you know. And so he had actually, turns out he had woken us up because the sh load was shifting a little bit. Well, when we rolled over on our side, actually all the pot ties on that port rail had, had busted and the load had shifted and it all went over onto the starboard rail. Didn't fall off but it shifted on over and so because you with the house aft boat like that you kind of leave an alleyway so you could walk forward so it wiped out the king coiler uh, it wiped out the i don't even think we had a coiler at the time but it wiped out the controls to the block it wiped everything out but also it busted it was a twin screw boat and it busted both rudders off snapped them off 
can't. And so now, so he, and and the captain's name is Harold Story, um, Norwegian guy, very knowledgeable, you know. And he he just by twin screwing it, he kept us into the seas until the until the storm subsided enough that he could lay a course to Dutch Harbor. And he twins between him and his his brother. I forget his brother's name. He had a brother on there between the two of them. They twin screwed that boat all the way to Dutch Harbor with no rudders. With no rudders on board. So and then we got in. They just tied it up and they said, "Well, we're flying out. You know, it needs some work." Okay, so but you're, you're but the but the about a half an hour. I asked him later on. You know, how big was that wave? And he goes, "Well, I don't know." But he claimed that it came over the bow and it completely swallowed up the whole boat, rolled back, swallowed up the deck as it came and hit the wheelhouse, swallowed up the whole wheelhouse and pushed us on the side. And he figures that was probably 80-footer. That's what he figured. It was probably about an 80-footer. I have no way to, you know, I can't just... sleep it. Yeah, I don't know, besides being green. But then about a half an hour after that happened to us, a wave hit the flying cloud and it actually busted the wheelhouse loose on the flying cloud and like they, took it right off yeah the... well busted it loose so it was shifting around so then they, it opened up about a four inch crack between the house and the deck and then apparently they were like taking chain bind chain and chain binders and chain binding it down strapping and, the and, house down and, uh, exactly and and taking us uh, mattresses and shoving it up in the crack and stuff and that's all word of mouth you know it's this is what i was just told but that's yeah so the only two boats out there so you were 17 and i well i had turned 18 by this point i was actually i turned 18 well, so now and I was we're working, legal. yeah well i'm legal and so <laughs> so i went from that boat surprised i kept fishing after that went to that boat to uh to a a boat we were fishing did you even get paid i mean you didn't catch no, any fish right no I mean, we didn't get paid. There was nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we only fished for 20 hours before we only hauled gear for 20 hours. I can't even remember offloading. I don't well, know. We no, must probably have. dumped it off we in must, the water. No, we must have offloaded. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so then, so then I got off and, and oh, and, you know, so when I was at, the, let me backtrack a little bit. So when I'm at the working in the the processing plant the cannery but it's not really a cannery i mean really only canneries can stuff nothing was canned there you know but everyone called it a cannery right and it's working at the cannery and so so they you always have an influx of new people uh coming in to, to work and at that point it was mainly they would hit up around colleges you know and all you know try and get these things and would be kind of became a joke, you know. That we figured you'd see it in the back of, of, of books of matches, you know, Alaska jobs, right? right. <laughs> but so they they had done a hiring uh, gamut in Spokane, and uh, one of the persons that got hired was this beautiful, tall, blonde lady, a couple of years older than me, and mm. she showed up and was like a goddess. Look out! Right, look out! Well, turns, in the plant. Yeah, in the plant. Yeah, yeah. Well, she became that. Her name's Patty. She became my my girlfriend, and thirty eight years later, we're married and a couple kids. So yeah, you're gonna pull that awesome nautical story back to. Back yeah, to sorry. I, I, 
Hold but, on, let me stop and back yeah, this up. I do. I, so I'm sorry, but she's you know, been listening to this. Well, no, no, it's not that, but because you know what? Out of all the things that have happened to me, that's the best thing. She is the best thing that's ever happened to me. That and, the, and then having the kids, you know, you Monica know, and Monica and Clint. Yeah, yeah, they're the best things ever ever happened to me. Monica's working and up there now. She is. She is. Yeah, she's the office manager in Akatan. Okay, so, and the reason I bring that up is because now, you know, I'm, I'm off this boat, but I've made no money, and uh, so I need, you know, I'm, I'm going to just stay and try and find a, a job. I've become officially a, a beach rat, right? I'm a beach rat now. I, I'm broke. I'm a fisherman, and I got no job. <laughs> I'm a beach rat, and the cannery was shutting down. Um, they were going to fly her out and I talked her into staying and I says, Hey, you know, we could live at my brother's house and you know, he's flying out. And so we, I went to show her that and, and which was just a shell of a house. Most is old world war two housing at the time, but it was so bad. I took her to another brother's house, which is even worse. It was a Quonset hut, you know, one of these half round ones. Well, they, they shelled the storage and yeah, ammunition. Yeah, exactly. Which he had fixed that up to a, to a house and it was. Oh man, it was it was slum, right? And uh, but it was his, you know. He rented it from the corporation, so it took him to this southern one, which is a two-story house, but had all the windows, all the glass had been broken out, uh, you know, years ago uh, through storms or vandalism or whatever. My brother had kind of rehabbed it a little bit by just putting visqueen plastic over the windows. You know, got a mattress, got this, but there's no fresh, there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's a wood stove. It, you know, there is a sink, but you got to pack water and, you know, and, but there's just a wood stove and that's what you got. So she goes, sure, you know, I'll stay there. And she went in, into town and she got a job uh, cooking, uh, being the cook at Stormy's Restaurant, which is a local pizza place and other, you know, type of things in Unalaska. So now she's working, and I'm still on the beach. I got no money, but we're living off of her, which kind of continued through quite a number of years because I was on all these boats, and I'd make some money, but I never made it big for years. You know, I was living. So anyway. so You're, you're urban camping, essentially. Yeah. Really. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But it's in the middle of winter. You know, the, the storms would blow, and it would blow snow in through. You'd wake up, and... You know, it's freezing cold and there'd be snow around you. And, and so anyway, so so I get on a boat called the Equinox. This 140-foot, old, nineteen early 1960s kind of mud boat, which offshore supply vessel. And so we're going to fish Dutch Harbor red crab season. And I was on there for a month, five weeks, six weeks, never made a dime. Never made. Well, I don't know. I might have gotten a two hundred dollar draw at one point, but essentially nothing, right? So I'm still, you know, Patty's paying all the bills. You know what little bills we had, which is just you know food. You know we need to pay, buy food, and that's kind of it. And then I got on another boat, the Yankee Clipper, which was just a horrible, horrible experience. I was on there for two months, never received a paycheck got ticketed for small crab which ended up costing me two thousand dollars to pay off the small crab fine all why'd the, you get ticketed all of the crew members got the same ticket and the captain 
you know, Captain and every crew member was issued a citation by Alaska Department of Fish and Game officer. And he had to go to court and, you know, the judge did his sentence, you know, which was 2000 bucks. But the worst thing was, and this was, so the, the boat rolling on its side, you know, I was too green to be scared at that point. But later on, I kind of got, wow, that was, you that know, was but yeah, that was scary, you know. But then here's the, the first really scary thing. We're out there. I'd been on there for, I don't know, a month or so at this point. And, Yankee Clipper? And Yankee Clipper. And we'd hired a greenhorn uh, off the Whitney Fidalgo. Unfortunately, I can't remember this guy's name. He was a nice guy. Uh, real eager and uh, and I wasn't I was no longer a greenhorn but I wasn't that experienced you know but I was no longer a greenhorn right at least not in my mind right I knew the whole schematics and I knew how to work a deck at least so we're going out on the first trip that this guy was on board we ran into a storm and the captain said we had a load of gear on and the captain said we got to get rid of all the gear because it's unsafe with all this gear on board. So we got to get on. And so there was a, a very quick, you know, maybe a half a sentence of who's going to go on the top, on, up on the stack. And he said, uh, the Greenhorn is. Because it's the safest place for him, right? Anyway, the last pot that was getting pulled off the stack, uh, he didn't quite know where to stand and it came over. They lifted them off. It wasn't a crane system. It was a main boom with a trolley system, which means that the the boom is fixed, and then you have this this where the cable comes up and goes through, travels up and down on a trolley, up and down the, the main boom. Anyway, the, the deck boss lifted the pot up, swung to, uh, to port. It knocked the guy in the water. I ran back there yelling, man, overboard. I saw it, you know, right away. Uh, grabbed a hold of the guy wire going up to the main boom, just kind of hanging on. The guy was back there off the stern. And the skipper swung around. And we never found him. And it was, it was really tough. It's still tough on me. I can hear it. Yeah. Is really tough on me and so kind of don't like to think about it too much but we never found them so we searched for about 20 hours and then went to town and and his brother was in town and came down and then his brother's trying to tell us you know you guys got to go back out and search and then the captain's being who was a jerk he was a flat-out jerk, right? And he's telling him, if your brother's still alive, he can walk to town. You know, dude, that's not what you say. But anyway, so I fished about another, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe three weeks. I don't know. At some point, I, and we came in, and we offloaded, and I just, I packed my bags. They went off. You know, it was it was a horrible experience on there anyway, besides that. And then, then they went off and said, uh, hey, we're going to dinner. Uh, you know, the typical, you know, now you're the, the young guy, you're the greenhorn, the grunt, do everything. So we're going to dinner, and uh, you have to go down. You got to clean the crab tanks, you know, when they get done offloading. You got to do this, got to do this, do this. We'll be back. We're, 
you know, we're off. And they walked off the boat. And I looked, looked around and says, screw this. I went in and grabbed well, my seat. You hadn't got a check at all. I hadn't gotten a check. Two months. Been through a yeah, very terrible Yeah, experience. and and packed my bags and I took off. And uh, so then, so now I'm, I'm on the beach again, which is, you know, no... I'm no worse for wear at this point because I hadn't made any money. Actually, then I got a job on the Northwestern. And uh, who was running the boat? Jan Manis. Jan Manis. Uh, uh, if you know Leif Manis, it's his older one of his older brothers. There's there was Borgia, and then and then Jan, and then Leif, Leif Magni, and uh, so and it was Jan, the middle one. He was running the boat and. They were on crab, and they needed a guy, and I got the job. And you had all this experience. I had all this experience, and and you know what? It uh, it was I. It was the first time that I actually made money, and I went out there. I think I fished for, I think maybe another five weeks or something. I made five thousand bucks. So, Patty was happy. Oh my goodness, yeah, but and it just seemed like that was the, that was all the, you know, that was an enormous amount of money, right? And uh, so, but that was it. We were done. We were done fishing. I was done fishing. You know, I, I'd had enough. I'd experienced, you know, what I later came to find out is probably a near-death experience. Uh, a boating experience on that first boat with the boat rolling over, how many boats roll on their side and come back. And uh, then with the guy uh, falling overboard, I was done. It was summer 80, and we came down here to Seattle. I was going to make my way on the beach. I looked for a job, but it was right in the middle of Reaganomics, high unemployment, high interest rates, you know, the whole bit. And you, you probably didn't live, live through Reaganomics. Oh, I remember Reagan. Yeah, and uh, and so anyway, so after after trying all summer to get another job, and you know on the beach it never happened, so went went down. Time to go on the docks, start looking, and. Uh, oh, you were back here in Seattle then. I, I was down here in Seattle, yeah. And and Patty was still. No, she her. came down here with me. She rode the north. We both rode the Northwestern down. And yep, packed up everything we had, put it on the Northwestern, rode it down here, got in, got it tied up, and everyone went their separate ways, and we did too. We went and got an apartment, and ate the Marion, and you know, there's uh, got a car, and you know, oh yeah, we had a few bucks. Of course, those bucks quickly went away, but sure. you know, yeah. What was, and the, so, what was the car? A '69 Chrysler New Yorker, four door. Big engine. I called it the tuna boat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I called it. So, yeah, so that was. But we go into three job interviews a day, you know, and no one's hiring. And so we just, uh, you know, finally I had to stop looking for jobs because we couldn't afford, I couldn't afford to keep paying the gas, you know, for, and not get a job. So, anyway. Came down, started beating the docks, and no job, but but I thought, well, the first place I'm going to go is the Northwestern. The last boat I made money on, right? And I'd heard, I and I and so I, far from the story I'm hearing, it's the only boat you made money on. Well, it is, it is, yeah, absolutely. And so I and I'd heard about the owner, Severa Hansen. You know, he's he was kind of a legend at that time. You know, uh, many things with the Northwestern, 
you know, only boat to buy, only guy to buy a boat out of Marco Shipyard with no partners. Only guy to buy a boat out of Marco Shipyard with no loan. Pay Just cash. Pay cash. million bucks for it. Cash. You had to get a loan from the cannery for the gear. You know, $150,000 loan for that, you know, is the story. But, uh, you know, it was built in 77, so it was a relatively new boat. Beautiful boat, you know. Still and is a beautiful boat. Still is, yeah. It's a little longer now. A little different, it's, yeah. It's, it's a 108 Marco at that time with the low house and everything. So anyway, so I went down there and started kind of hanging out, waiting for this infamous Vara Hansen to show up. And so it took a few days, three, four, five days, maybe on to the second week. I can't remember. It was a while. Finally, this guy shows up in this rickety red Ford Courier pickup. Rusted to shit. Radley slammed the door three times to get to stay closed. And he, and he got gets out and he grabs some, some floor matting out of the back of the truck and throws it on deck, you know. And no one else is on board. And, and so I go up and I go, hey, I, so-and-so, and I'm looking for Svara Hansen. He goes, yeah, I'm Svara. And I thought to myself... God, this guy doesn't have two nickels to, to rub together, you know? Well, he paid I mean, cash for that boat. Yeah, he paid cash for that boat. Well, you know, it's the reason people, rich people get richer is they don't spend any money, you know? <laughs> so anyway, but he, uh, he, he talked with me and he says, I don't got a, I don't got a job for you, but I can give you a ride. I'll, I'll let you ride the boat north as long as you help load us we got a load of gear to load on you load the gear we'll do this we're going to put on whatever it was a load of gear you know four high or whatever and you know and so so he let me do that and i got a free ride north and uh patty meanwhile had gotten a job with at the uh unice at the unice inn being a dishwasher you know, so they flew in, her on in, uh, in, in, Dutch, in Harbor. Dutch Harbor. Yeah, so we're gonna go you back. Guys are working up. this out. Oh, we are. We are. Yeah, we're tag teaming it here. We're. She got up there, and I got up there, and and uh, I had no job to go to. She at least had a job to go to in housing, and uh, but a couple days out of Dutch Harbor, the skipper came down and says, uh, "I got a job for you," and I go, "Really? With what boat?" And he goes, "Well, the Silver Wave." Silver Wave? Oh, it was a it was a highliner for East Point uh, Seafoods at that time, right? And uh, so I heard of this boat, you know, real highliner. And so he goes, well, it's just a daily position. You know, it's all they got, $100 a day, but you can have it. And I go, I'll take it. Tell him I'll take it. He goes, well, the captain's name is Rangveld. And he goes, you can have it. So I, we got in. I went over there, and I got, got my job. You know, 100 bucks a day, but only for fishing days. Don't get paid in town. Got to do all the work, but 100 bucks a day when we're out fishing. And uh, so I go, okay. So so we went out, did that, and what a first-class operation. The Northwestern was a first-class operation. It was. It was very steady, though. It wasn't that fast-paced. It was you're hauling 140 pots a day, and then you shut down. You know, you 140 pots a day, and you shut down. You know, you're sleeping every night. That's what you're doing. This boat, it was 24 hours a day with one person in the bunk, you know, and the boat just worked until it was full, which was about two days, you know, typically to fill the boat up. And uh, and it was, so you got four hours off deck a day. That's what you got. 
and you better not waste them. As they, as they told me on that boat, better sleep fast. <laughs> you have to do everything fast. You got to count fast. You got to fill bait jugs fast. You got to throw the hook fast. You got to do everything. You got to cook fast. You got to sleep fast. So, and I learned that. Yeah, you better sleep fast with four hours in the bunk. And so, anyway, but uh, did a couple trips there. Uh, they still didn't have a full, you know, a shared position for me. And they all agreed that I was, you know, needing a shared position. So I told them, well, you know, I'd heard of some jobs that opened up in town and went and got on the beach and said, I got to go my own way, you know. And the guys tell me, oh, I think you got to stay. And no, I got to go my own way. I got to find a shared position. Spent uh, what was ended up to be one trip, one of their trips on the beach, looked for a job, didn't find a job. And then they came in. The half share guy had broken his wrist, got it smashed in between two pots. And so, so a job came open. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to apply for it. You know, I'd made my rounds. I was making two rounds a day. And uh, when they came in, I went behind the mountain to go over to this other dock. They'd snuck in. I didn't see them. And so then I saw them later on in the bar and, and they're going, is that they're all Norwegian, right? And they couldn't say Howard. Couldn't say that. It was it was Hoovard. And they go, Hoovard, where the hell you been, man? And I go, well, it's, you know, they, have you got a job? No, I don't got a job. Well, you know, Tron, he broke his arm and da-da-da-da. Oh, you need We need that on the boat. Well, we already hired a guy. Oh, come on, you know. No, we hired a guy, you know, and he's going to be going here. and and But he hasn't showed up yet. We hired him, he hasn't showed up yet, so get your ass to the boat. Uh, so I got my ass to the boat, spent all night, I was taking tally on the boat, you know, taking tally with the crab, They're with the weights. Yep. Yeah, I was doing that, which you, you always got paid a dollar, it's a dollar a thousand. Think that's what it was, a dollar a thousand for doing tally? pounds for tally. So 200,000 pounds, 200 bucks, right? Yeah, it's a dollar a thousand pounds, and so you take tally. So Patty's happy. Yeah, so so I'm doing that, and I'm I'm washing dishes, and I'm buffing the boat out. I'm doing all this stuff, and and uh, and, and the guy still hasn't showed up. Now it's morning, and it's it's ten o'clock. It's eleven o'clock. The boat's done offloading. They're doing the fish ticket, and and he's getting the boat. The guy's draws, and he's doing all that stuff. And he says, at noon, we're we're leaving. We're going to the fuel dock at noon, and if he hasn't showed up by noon, you got the job. And so, so noon came and went, and we took off. And which and boat was this? The Silver Wave, and the same one, right? Uh, so, yeah. so I got got the job, but the guy that had replaced me for a hundred dollars a day, he was still there. And they go, well, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to split the half share, and we're going to split the hundred dollars a day. So I ended up being a quarter share and fifty bucks a day. But quarter share on that boat. I mean, that boat, they put in one point, I think, a million and a quarter pounds that season of Red King Crab. You know, 86 cents a pound. You know, it was it was lucrative, right? And so, so still, so I made money on that. And, uh, but after that, the whole thing, you know, she, Patty always had a steady job. I'd make these little chunks of money, and they were really, I think back on it, they were little chunks of money. 
because I get these little chunks. My money would kind of pay for our vacations outside. Her money would pay for all everything else. And maybe uh, maybe replace the visc yeah, with some and, Oh, and or... she and she had. As soon as I got a job and started making money, she ended up quitting Unice because it was just a horrible outfit to work for, and she got a job working at the elbow room. And so she is working. Uh, she's a barmaid in the elbow room. You know the infamous elbow room, right? Been there. And uh, oh, you have? Oh yeah, I woke oh. up outside one time without remembering really? anything. Wow, yeah. wow. And uh, yeah, so she was she was doing that. She ended up she ended up working there for I think six years because we lived in town. Lived for, there eight years. We right? lived there eight years. Yep, yep. And she worked there. I think it was six, six or seven. And she ended up going, made you know, was being a bartender at night. She went from barmaid to the bartender at night. And then she became the daytime bartender. And then the owners were, uh, well, half the ownership was the uh, Larry and Peggy Scheisenkopf had the Peggy Rose, and and they would go off uh, salmon fishing in the summertime. So then Patty started being a manager uh, in the summertime for them. And so she always had a job. And I was making these kind of little chunks of money. And uh, so anyway, get, uh, so I ended up kind of getting, working. I was always working, always working on these boats, you know. And I really got in with the Norwegian crab boats a lot, you know. But they, unfortunately, they were always hiring their cousins or their brother-in-laws and this and that and the other. And those would be the starting crew. And those guys would get the gravy. And then they call good old Howard because Howard be sitting on the beach in the beginning of the season. Hoovard. Yeah, Hoovard. Yeah, they call Hoovard, and they'd get me down there about halfway done with the season, and and I get on board. I'd finish off the season. I'd make the end of the season. I finally ended up getting off those and uh, tried to get on American boats. And now I found out. Well, of course they're all American, right? But yet there was a difference between the the uh, Norhutsky boats and the. American boats. Those Norwegian boats were run fine-tuned, right? Oh, they were, they were fine-tuned, but you know what? Nothing was ever brushed. You worked and you just did steady. It was steady, Eddie. Just all day long, you were just hauling gear and everything was just laid out perfect. And those American boats were, they got into this whole thing where they were trying to, it kind of became a competition. How much gear can we haul an hour? So they were stacking it all instead of picking and dumping. When they're on crab, even when they're on the crab, they wouldn't pick and dump. You know, they why, would stack why would you do that because they could say they could go to town. They could brag about, you know, we haul 28 pots an hour. But yet, then they turn around, and they set it back. But they had it all figured out. They figured they they hauled more gear than the other way. You know, but they're working a hell of a lot harder too. Well, all through this, the kind of the, the king crab demise had happened the crab had taken a dump right you'd what, heard what that year is this now you this been... is i went through the 80 81 it was it was king crab 80 on the, the silver wave and and i was picking up these other jobs you know doing dutch harbor crab on the china and and different boats i worked on a lot of different boats you know kind of going around picking well, up i'm not seasons. trying to speed you up that much i'm but i'm going back to with you and patty eight years now out of dutch harbor Oh, you're, you're at this point, what? Okay, 27, so 28? yeah, so so I had, I was working on a boat. I settled in on a boat called the Golden Pride, which became, which is which sunk. Okay. Okay, so I was on there for two and a half years, 
it uh, is owned by, well, we don't need to go into that. So it was a 86 foot boat and uh, same owner as the Golden Pisces, except old, he's passed away now, Buster McNabb. So we were joint venturing. I got into trawling now. I'm, I've, I've done away with crab and I'm gonna be making my way as a trawler. So I'm on there and I knew that that boat was unstable and I had progressed, you know, throughout. I mean, like, I really fast forwarded right there, you know, you know through what? that. I, you know what, just because of that, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. We're gonna stop it right here and we're gonna continue with episode two. Are you kidding? No, we are 42 <laughs> minutes into this son of a Are bitch. you kidding? I am just starting. I know, we're just gonna get it going. So we're gonna break it off here. We'll have an episode two, which, we're, right. gonna, which we're gonna record right now. All right. While you are good and liquored up. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll break it off here, guys. And the next one you will hear will be episode two with Howard Malcolm. This has been Galley Stories. I've been your host, Mark Kaler. And don't forget the ALS fundraiser on uh, May 15th. Uh, Trident is sitting there, food truck there, to uh, give 100% of all proceeds to that for the ALS event for, in Pat Dwyer's name. So if you do nothing else, come by and buy the food. There you go. Or send a check. There you go. Because we'll take those, right? That's right. ALS TDI. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you on the next episode that's probably going to be posted with this episode. But uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>